Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. Let me ask you a question. Would you rather get an ad to sign up for something or would you rather get a recommendation from a friend to sign up for something? The answer is pretty obvious. A recommendation from a friend is always the ideal option, no matter what you stack it up against. And this is why I love Sparkloop. It's the referral tool for newsletters that makes it incredibly easy to enable subscribers to share with their friends and get rewarded for it. I use it myself and I can't recommend it enough. Check them out at sparkloop.app EIM. You can find the link in the show notes and build an army of marketers for your newsletter. On the show today is Moitza Zilve, the founder of Super Spicy Media, a boutique Facebook ads agency, and the creator of The Science of Facebook Ads, which basically speaks for itself. It's an amazing course. I wanted to bring her on because she's one of the go-to practitioners on Facebook ads. She's worked with a lot of brands and really knows her stuff on Facebook ads. She's also got a really interesting perspective across marketing for her clients, marketing herself, and her own digital products. So you hear about how she ran ads for Carol Baskin of Tiger King fame, her end-to-end Facebook ads playbook and how it was developed, and her experiments with other ad channels and how they compare to Facebook. All right. To start, did you ever think that you'd be running and teaching Facebook ads for a living? No, no, I, I didn't uh, think I'll ever do that. I, I thought that I'm going to be a journalist. So a journalist. this is, yeah, this is something completely different from that. Interesting. Well, it's still sort yeah. of in the realm of marketing-ish, you know, something like it. it. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, I studied um like literal translation from Slovenian is media communications, but like most of the emphasis was on journalism. However, when they started talking about marketing, I was intrigued. Hmm. So, Interesting. Yeah. Well, what made you interested in journalism in the first place? I don't know. I think what, so my cousin, he is actually a renowned journalist in Slovenia and I was always kind of looking up to him. Um, I was, for some reason, I was just interested in in that kind of thing. So that's why I decided to study media communications. I was interested in the media. Uh, but then, uh, because I worked as a journalist since I was 15 years old, I got bored of it really quickly. Mm. So by the time I went to college, I was like, we, we were studying about like interview forms and I was already familiar with all of that. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of bored. So I need something different. Mm. So then you, you alluded to that, you know, that you, you heard about marketing sort of piqued your interest. Uh, how did you hear about, you know, marketing? Like what, what sort of led you down that path instead? I think we were learning a lot uh, and studying about like the advertising and ads, successful ads. Uh, we had some examples that we studied in college and that's what kind of got me intrigued. And then a friend of mine actually started working at an advertising agency uh, in the city where I was studying. And he was telling me about like, he's having a lot of fun at that agency. It's great work. And I decided, you know what, I'm just going to email them if they need a copywriter, considering that I was already a journalist and publishing for uh, written media. Uh, I think copywriting was like kind of a similar uh, thing. So I decided to just email them and got my first job at an advertising agency. Um, and I think that's how it started. 
Interesting. Wow. Do you, looking back on it now, do you think that, you know, it helped that you had a sort of journalism background coming into marketing as a copywriter or working within an agency running ads? I think it gave me a solid foundation uh, when it comes to like writing and yeah, written text. However, I think like copywriting, especially for advertising agencies, it's different from uh, journalism. So while it gave me the foundation, I definitely needed to um, switch directions just a tiny bit so I can get really good at copywriting for uh, like the advertising agency that I was working with. Um, so absolutely, foundation was there, uh, but I needed to upgrade my knowledge and just move it slightly in a different direction. Hmm. Yeah, that's funny because normally, or I guess not normally, but I think the, the thing I've heard the most often is someone comes from maybe like a media or journalism background and then they get into something like, you know, content marketing or, uh, mm. or writing, right? Or something like that. But you sort of went the other direction and you went more into the advertising side of things. And it's right. kind of the opposite of marketing uh, or that side of marketing in a way, because you're not doing a lot of long form writing. You're more doing a lot of really quippy sort of short text, lots, a lot more design involved with the ads themselves. Yeah. And I was, at the beginning, I was working mostly as like, trying to, um, you know, create slogans uh, for um, and yeah, for, for for the companies that we were working with. And that was a challenge to me because you needed to say everything in one sentence or just a couple of words. Right. And I like that kind of challenge with being being a journalist. I mean, again, you had long form text, you were, I don't know, telling a story, reporting on something, doing an, an interview weren't you weren't really limited. Uh, but when it came to, uh, yeah, just, you know, slogans and uh, headlines, uh, like you had just one sentence, and you needed to tell a lot in that one sentence. Uh, and that like, I was working as a copywriter uh, for a year, and I got really good at it at the end. Uh, and I liked, like I said, I liked that kind of challenge. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. So uh, I want to get back to sort of your early days of marketing and, you know, how you broke into it and eventually got to where you are now, you know, running an agency yourself and also having yeah. digital products and sort of, uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the leading experts, I would say, is sort of the Facebook advertising world. But you told me over email that you ran ads for Carol Baskin before the whole Tiger King Netflix series. And I have to know, is that true? How did that work? What's the story behind that? That is 100% true. And it was before everything went down. Um, I think she approached me, she heard my podcast, I think somewhere, I can't remember which one. So she listened to an episode where I was a guest, she was really intrigued, she was looking for a Facebook advertising expert, because um, at the time, she was only working with the like, Facebook experts that Facebook provided. Um, and those like their knowledge is pretty general. Uh, they mostly work on brand awareness and not necessarily on any kind of conversion marketing or conversion oriented marketing. Um, so she was looking for someone who couldn't just, who wouldn't just do brand awareness ads, but could also drive sales of her merch. And that's how she approached me. She heard me on a podcast, she approached me and we actually started working together. We worked together for a couple of months and it was actually right at the time. So uh, if you're look, uh, um, if you're familiar with the Tiger King, which I assume you are, <laughs> um, it yep. was right at the time when um, Joe Exotic actually published that video of, uh, you know, the doll that he made and like of Carol Baskin and I think like right. shooting her in the head or something. Yep. So she was 
she actually told me about Joe when we started working together. Like, you need to be aware of this. This is happening. He has this doll, like, doing this. Uh, and I was already aware, but I never thought that it would get so big. <laughs> wow, that's, that's insane. So what did you actually do for her? And like, how, how did it go? So I was working with her. She, she's, I don't know if she still is selling merch or probably is, especially after Tiger King. Yeah. Uh, but I at the so. time, she, yeah, she was trying to um, just collect, uh, sell merch and collect money for her uh, cat sanctuary. And I was working on that. So I was trying to do conversion oriented sales campaigns for, you know, the t-shirts that she was selling, tote bags, uh, any kind of donations, boosting posts uh, that she was doing on her Facebook page. So when you had that Tiger King episode, uh, when they were mentioning um, how she is well-renowned as someone who has good social media presence. I was like, yes, that was me as well. <laughs> That's amazing. You're uh, a part of that story, right? You can, it's yeah. funny that she got all the credit for it, right? When she's hiring out sort of a agency or a right. consultant like yourself as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, one of, that was one of the things I thought was funny too about the series was, you know, when they were talking about like, they were sort of explaining SEO and sort of social media and the rise of it. Uh, and you got to be a small part of that story where you were helping her in that case. And you were, uh, I would assume she learned some things from that as well. If what works, what doesn't work. Oh yeah, absolutely. And before, before I came on board, they didn't do any AB tests necessarily. So they just had one campaign targeting one uh, type of audience running just one ad. They were mostly boosting posts. Uh, and she was wondering like, why aren't my ads converting? Why aren't we selling more of our t-shirts and more of our other merch? Uh, and I was actually the one who kind of pointed her in that direction saying, Hey, like you need to do this. Um, this, this is the kind of campaign that typically works when you're trying to sell t-shirts or any kind of product. Uh, so yeah, that was, it, it was, it was fun. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, getting into yeah. Facebook ads a little bit, you know, you mentioned, uh, some things work, some things don't work and there's sort of some nuance into the whole strategy. You know, when you, pe when you hear people say things like, oh, well, Facebook ads didn't work for me, or even that Facebook ads don't work anymore, it's too saturated or it's too expensive. Like, what, what do you tell them? You're just not doing the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're not following the right strategies. Um, it's typically, it all comes down to kind of the top, I, I'd say three mistakes that people do. Um, one of them is what they do is, they typically launch just a purchase campaign or a purchase oriented campaign. They have one campaign and they're trying to get purchases. They're trying to sell their product, their services to cold audiences. So that's the number one mistake that they typically do. Uh, number two, that kind of go goes alongside of that is they don't have a sales funnel in place that would lead people from that first interaction with a brand or a company to that very last step a sale. Um, and then the third is just targeting the wrong target audience with wrong ads. Uh, so, but like that, just running a purchase campaign, that's number one, number one mistake that people do. And I, I kind of get the philosophy behind it because their mindset is, okay, so I'm giving money to Facebook and I need to get something immediately back. So I'm not going to invest in, let's say, traffic ads. Uh, I'm not going to invest in brand awareness. Uh, I 
putting money in, I need to get money out right away. And like, I get it, but it's not how it works on Facebook. Hmm. So as, as someone who's pretty much a Facebook ad noob, like I, I haven't seriously ran face, Facebook ads or had any sort of success that I could tell for myself. I think that one of the big sort of barriers or like um, mental obstacles that you have to overcome is like you said, understanding sort of how different um, campaign types and goals for each of the ads kind of play together. And for me, it's hard right. to understand, like, I mean, it's not hard to understand, but it's hard to accept that, oh, I might have to put in a lot of money in order for me to start running a different type of campaign to sort of start um, uh, monetizing what I've done before, right? Or start reaping the benefits of what I've done before. Like what type of investment do you need to put in beforehand in order to start seeing results later? Yeah. So first of all, taking a step back, when someone comes to me with that kind of objection, I typically tell them about the days of traditional advertising, where you had TV ads, radio ads, newspaper ads, it was all incredibly expensive and you could measure anything. So we like, even with the investments in advertising that we're talking about today, it's just crazy minimum as opposed to the investments that we needed to do when there was still traditional advertising and was no uh, like digital advertising around. Hmm. Um, as far as the other, what was the other question? <laughs> like what type of investment do you need to put in in order to right. start reaping the benefits later on? Right. It really depends. Uh, and I hate that answer. I really do. Uh, but so just like if you're looking at it, if you're selling a service of, let's say, $400, I don't know, let's say you're a designer and you have a service that's $400, like you won't achieve a lot with $20. However, if you're say, selling products for a dollar, $20 is quite a lot of money. So it all it mm. all depends on the end product that you're trying to sell. What I typically recommend is if you have an existing audience, even if it's not incredibly big, if, even if you know that's not an audience of 100 people, what I recommend is start with retargeting because you'll do a minimum investment and you'll get the best results from it. So let's say if you're selling digital products, let's say an ebook for $29 and you've had 500 visitors, to that web page, start there, retarget those people who visited that web page, let's say invest $100 into that promotion and you'll see how much you'll get back just from that retargeting, targeting to people who already know you. And that will give you a foundation to better calculate the investment that you need to do in order to uh, reach a positive ROI. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And and mis mistake number two that you mentioned was not having the right type of sales funnel, or maybe even uh, following a traditional sales funnel that might not work anymore. And I, I believe you mentioned something uh, to the effect of the backwards funnel approach. Like, could you explain maybe what the antidote to having the wrong sales funnel would be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think people get really scared when. I mentioned sales funnels, any type of sales funnels, just the word sales funnel scares them. Like they know what a sales funnel is, but they don't know 
what their sales funnel is um, because it's different. So my sales funnel is different from my competitor's sales funnel, probably. Uh, it's roughly the same, but the nuances are there. So when I talk about the backwards approach, it's the easiest approach to a sales funnel there is. Every Anyone can do it. You don't need a deep marketing knowledge, a deep understanding of how sales funnels work in order to implement this approach. So the only thing you need is First, you need to determine what your end goal is with your Facebook advertising. What are you trying to achieve? Let's say in my case, I'm selling an online video course on Facebook advertising. So in my case, what I'm trying to achieve is generating more sales of that particular video course. So what I'll do now is I'll go to that end goal first and then work my way backwards, seeing how people typically achieve this goal. So do they purchase anything else before purchasing my course? What do they do before that? And I'll just go a step back and a step back and a step back, because if that's the path they usually take when buying my video course on Facebook ads, that's the best path that I should be advertising to my potential customer. So let's say I have a video course and before buying a video course, a typical customer bought my ebook before buying my ebook, they signed up for my free, um, email course on Facebook ads before doing that, they read my blog post. So I'll establish what those steps were before, and I'll be able just to flip that on its head and I'll have a sales funnel that actually works because if it worked, organically for my existing customers, it's going to work for my potential customers as well. Wow. That's interesting. So how do you, uh, how do you reverse engineer what those steps are? Like say for, you know, you don't want to guess, right? You don't want to make assumptions. So how do you really know what the things are that people do, uh, before they get to that final end goal of, you know, purchasing your product or service? Right. I typically use Google analytics for that. So Google analytics can tell you a lot. Uh, even if you, don't have the best setup. Uh, Google Analytics is smart enough to let you know like what path users typically take. Um, I also track a lot with my email marketing tool. So I use ConvertKit and I tag people and I can see their exact path, the exact path that they're taking. But if you don't have that kind of setup, I think people typically forget that there's another option of just asking people. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, yeah, just asking people, approaching them, uh, scheduling a call or even not. Like you can just email them. That's what I did at the start before I had Google Analytics, before I was doing like these deep dives uh, into Google Analytics and my ConvertKit analytics. Uh, I was just approaching people, asking them, hey, you know, how, how did you find me? And they told me like, I found your blog post and then I signed up for that email course and it was so good. And I needed to purchase that ebook from you. And that was so good. And I needed to know what's in the video course. Um, so just, you know, approach the people and ask them, there's yeah. no excuse of not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's one of those things again, where, um, maybe as, as a marketer, you're sort of too deep into, to, remember that you can just do things like that. And if you had a yeah. more beginner mindset and you're not a marketer, maybe then you, that, that might be a little bit more obvious of like, Oh, I don't just go ask these people how they found me or, right. or what they've done beforehand. Um, yeah. and did you find that that changed the way that you did anything or the way that you approached, you know, your own sales funnel? Oh, absolutely. First of all, um, I got rid of that fear of sales funnels. Um, that fear of guessing, what if I create this sales funnel and it doesn't work? And second of all, 
Um, I learned so much from my audience, observing the analytics, talking to my audience, asking them how they found me. Uh, and I was able to um, engineer a completely new thing and it started to convert better. For example, uh, I found out that a lot of my customers find me through podcasts. So they listen to a podcast or two. Uh, and that's how I decided uh, a couple of years ago, you know what? I'm just going to book more podcasts and people will find me and they'll um, subscribe to my email list and subscribe to that free video course uh, or a free email course. Um, so just learning more about what makes your audience tick, it'll change everything. And especially it will take that guesswork away from you, uh, the guesswork that we all hate because you're not sure what you're doing uh, and you'll establish a new funnel that actually works um, with the knowledge that you'll get from your customers. Mm, yeah, I love that. I want to get back to how you market yourself and sort of, uh, mm. and then also get into the science of Facebook ads and everything that, that you're doing with your own products now. But I'd love to cover sort of Facebook ad strategy end to end as much as we can um, and sort of start from the beginning, get to the end and sort of all the places in between. So maybe starting from the beginning, you tell me if this is the beginning or not. But my impression was that, um, you know, setting up an account and sort of structuring it from campaigns to ad sets to ads themselves is maybe the first step. So how do you approach that? Or also, is that the first step that you that you take? It's not the first step. Oh my gosh, what is the first step? <laughs> Implementing a Facebook pixel. Oh, okay, okay. So the first thing that you'll actually do is open a business, business manager with Facebook, uh, and then you'll open a Facebook ads account, and that's it. it it's a couple of steps that you need to take a few things that you need to have beforehand but before you even start about thinking start thinking about campaigns start thinking about audiences about ad sets the first thing you need to do is implement a facebook pixel to your site because planning out a campaign planning out a strategy will take some time and during that time, you want Facebook Pixel to connect, uh, to collect data from your web page, data that you can start using when you're ready to launch your first campaign. So let's say today, yeah, you're playing with the idea of running a Facebook advertising campaign. You're not ready yet. You want to uh, do the backwards funnel approach. Uh, you want to plan everything ahead. You're thinking about it. Still, you should open a business manager, open a Facebook ad account, get that pixel, implement it to your web page so you're ready and collecting data from your web page and you're able to retarget your web page visitors. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is what you mentioned. So planning out a campaign, an ad set, the whole strategy, how you're going to approach to your target uh, audiences and so on. Okay. So um, first of all, on the, on the pixel, like what is the pixel actually tracking? Like where are you placing that? on the site so that it's collecting the right data for you to use later. So fa Facebook has really um, just a step-by-step -step process that it leads you through when it comes to implementing your Facebook pixel. Um, it has become really straightforward. So if you're using, let's say, WordPress, Squarespace, Shopify, Facebook now even has integrations. So you don't even need to place a 
code in onto your web page. You just take the Facebook pixel ID that Facebook provides. And with that integration or app or whatever, it automatically implements a pixel on the right page. Uh, so you don't need to do any of that. If that's not an option, however, Facebook has a step-by-step -step process. Long story short, you get a short piece of code that you implement uh, right before the end head tag on your web page. So you go into your code and before the end head tag, you implement that Facebook pixel. You do not implement it uh, in the body because that way you'll be you'll only be tracking it on that particular site. Uh, so you want it in the head because if you do it like that, it'll be placed throughout your whole web page. You don't want to just tra uh, track traffic from your homepage, but you want the Facebook pixel to, to be implemented everywhere and track your blog post visits, your contact page visits, your store visits, whatever. Gotcha. Okay, so now we're getting into the structure of the campaigns and sort of how you set that up. Like, what, what are the, um, the best practices for making sure that you're doing that right? Right, so when, if you're, if we're talking about that funnel approach, which is what I always, always recommend, just working it backwards, finding your sweet spot, what's the typical funnel, what's the typical path your customers take. So each of these steps will be a separate campaign. Hmm. So let's say we have, to make it easy, a three-step funnel for selling an ebook. Um, after you did your analysis, after you talk to your customers, you find out that people typically start reading a blog post, then they subscribe to a free email sequence. And after that, they buy your ebook. Each of these steps, so the blog post, the free email course, the ebook, each of these steps will be a separate campaign. Hmm. And within each of the campaign, you have an option of creating ad sets. And what I typically do is I have one ad set per audience that I want to target because when it comes to uh, advertising, especially when it comes to Facebook ads, we always want to be A-B testing. Mm. A-B testing is the way to make progress. If you're A-B testing, you're learning what works. If you're not A-B testing, you're just guessing essentially. So let's say if we start with the traffic campaign, so the top of the funnel, what I'll essentially do is I'll have that campaign to generate traffic to one of most uh, one of my most popular blog posts and within that campaign I'll have let's say three separate ad sets each ad set targeting a slightly different audience because I'm trying to learn um, which audience is my audience you know where do I get the cheapest clicks uh, which audience engages with my ads the most so let's say I'll target uh, people interested in Facebook advertising, I'll target people interested in one of my competitors, and I'll target people interested in, let's say, lead pages. Um, so I'll have these three different audiences, and uh, within uh, on the ad level, so each ad set can then contain one or more ads, and on the ad level, the ads will be pretty much the same. Hmm. So I'll use a couple of different visuals, a couple of different texts, and I'll just try to see what works for that particular target audience. But when it comes to the other steps of the funnel, so let's say we covered the first step of the funnel, which was generating traffic to a blog post, the other two steps, what we're trying to do is we're retargeting. So when someone lands on my blog post, when I'm having that 
that second step of the funnel is retargeting those people who read that blog post and showing them an ad for my free email course. And then the third step would be when I'm promoting the ebook, I'll be retargeting people who have subscribed to that free email course and showing them the ad for my product, which is the ebook. Hmm. Yeah. So then how do you think about uh, targeting, right? So first we have the campaign and we're sort of structuring, you know, what is this for and what's the goal of these particular ads? And But then we get into the ad sets, which is who we're targeting. Um, how are you finding the right audience to target, uh, especially in that first step, right? When you're really trying to target a new audience, you're not retargeting, right? Where it's sort of the same traffic you've been getting. So how right. do you find those new qualified audience? So there are a couple of different approaches that I typically take with my clients and with myself as well. So um, one of the, in my opinion, best features that Facebook offers is a lookalike audiences or creation of lookalike audiences. A lookalike audience is a brand new cult audience that's based on your existing audience. So let's say I have an email list of I don't know, 500 people. It can be as low as 100 people. So let's, for the sake of that, let's say I have an email list of 100 people. I can upload that email list to Facebook and create a lookalike audience out of that email list. What Facebook will then do is it will look for common interests those people on my email list have, and it'll create some sort of a buyer persona and based on that buyer persona it'll look for completely new people so cold audience that's similar to an existing audience that in my opinion is the best way to start mm. so that's again one of the reasons why we need a facebook pixel so early on because if you implement a facebook pixel today and then within seven days, you have 100 people visiting your webpage, you can create a lookalike audience out of that audience and target a brand new audience that's similar to that, um, to that audience, to that existing audience of your website visitors. So that, in my opinion, is the best way to start. However, if that's not an option, because you need at least 100 people on your email list or um, tar uh, tagged with your Facebook pixel, the next step that you can do is you can target your competitors or businesses with the same target audience or a similar target audience. So in my case, uh, that would be, let's say, Buffer. Uh, it would be John Loomer. It would be social media examiners. It could also be lead pages. Um, so since these are typically small business owners that are looking to market their products with Facebook ads, um, if that's not an option, you can always turn to a tool that Facebook provides called Audience Insights. And you can plug in some of the audiences that you're willing to explore. Let's say you want to explore audience that's an audience that's interested in lead pages. So you can place that into the audience insights tool. And what Facebook will do is they will analyze people who have somehow expressed interest in lead pages and it will let you know their demographic information, uh, what Facebook pages they're typically interested in. So you'll again get a list of their interests, a list of uh, different things they're interested in uh, in order for you to take that data and place it and start using it in your uh, ad sets as a potential target audience. What struck me about that was you're never really starting from scratch, which is pretty, uh, which is pretty interesting. Um, cause yeah. I think that's how a lot of people would approach it at first is like, well, I'm coming to Facebook for this 
brand new audience. I just need to find all you know, this magic group of people out here. Um, but when you're starting with a lookalike audience, it's still based on people who have interacted yeah. with you in the past. When you're starting with uh, competitors, you're also starting with you know a similar group of people who know who your competitors are. When you're starting with complementary uh, brands or services or products, uh, it's also, again, that same thing. Um, yeah, and that's, in my opinion, the beauty of Facebook advertising. When I was working at that advertising agency, ugh, I remember I remember when we did traditional uh, ads in newspapers, you're just blasting your ad in front of a lot of people and 90% of them are completely unqualified. Mm. With digital advertising, such as Facebook advertising, you're not really starting from scratch, but you can really pinpoint a specific audience based on an existing data source. Uh, whether that's, like I said, your Facebook pixel, your um, um, email list, or a competitor's audience. Uh, so like you said, you're not really starting from scratch. You have all of that data that Facebook historically uh, collected already uh, and your 10 steps uh, in front of your competitors who are not even thinking about that. Right, right. So then getting into the actual ad level and talking about specific ads, um, what goes into the design, copywriting, call to action and making a great ad that's going to get people to uh, click and eventually convert? We have some guidelines that um, I typically recommend. So what right now works on face uh, with Facebook ads is GIF ads, for example, anything that moves. It's not really hard to create a GIF. Uh, and I'm not talking about memes or anything like that. I'm talking right. about, let's say, going to canva.com, which is, in my opinion, one of the best tools to start with if you're not really a designer but want to create good-looking ads for uh, your for Facebook advertising um, and like any kind of animation, anything that pops, anything that moves, that's a really good way to start. Uh, what really works as well are long form copy ads. Um, mm. I typically use when we're, let's say when we get down to promoting my ebook, um, I use long form copy, meaning it's almost like a sales page in its own, uh, a couple of paragraphs uh, that's broken down. Um, like we have some emojis in there, which breaks down the text, uh, the text a little bit. And that what, that's what really works. But what I would love to leave people with is you need to start somewhere uh, and you need to, the, the first step you should take is implement a couple of different visuals that are completely different from one another. Hmm. So sure, you should follow some brand guidelines when it comes to, let's say, the font you're using, the cop, um, not uh, the colors you're using, the logo. But when it comes to a specific design and the elements that you put on a particular design, test as many things as possible um, because we typically assume we know what our target audience likes. And I can tell you from experience, that's never the case. <laughs> we discovered some really interesting things when we design an ad and we all said, including the CEO, we all said, this is never going to work for our target audience. This, like, this, is, a, this is a design they will just skip by. Like, that's typically not the case. Something that you think it's not going to work is typically a thing that will work. So mm. test, you have to start somewhere don't get hung up on the idea of creating a perfectly designed ad. Start somewhere, implement five different visuals that are different from one another, 
and then learn from that experience and learn from from the data that you'll collect in the next couple of days. Yeah, I, it's one of the things I think about a lot is, and I struggle with as well personally, is um, we sort of usually use this kind of mental model of like, well, I would like this or like, this is what I would like to see or, you know, I sort of have these implicit biases of like, uh, well, this ad would never work. or I would never, never click on something like that. And <laughs> like, well, maybe you're not your target audience or maybe you're not the, you know, right. the end customer that you're advertising to. And that can be so key. If you remember that, then you really should experiment, experiment wildly, right? Because if you're sort of yeah. limited to your own, uh, your own little box and your own little, um, idea of how the world works and what people like, then you're never, you might never actually find the things that do work. Right, right, exactly. So um, even seasoned Facebook, uh, Facebook advertisers, they still A-B test a lot. I have been doing Facebook ads for, uh, honestly, I don't remember specifically, but at least eight years. And I can tell you still that I A-B test a lot. I A-B test every day with all of my clients. Hmm. So, so getting into the testing and optimization phase, like how are you uh, setting up and measuring the tracking, you know, like, what are you looking for to see if things are working, if they're not working and what needs to be improved? So can you repeat that question again? Yeah. Like how do you actually look at a different campaign or different ads, uh, set or the different ads themselves and test what is working and what's not? So I, it, again, I hate that answer, but it typically depends on the client that I'm working with, what we're testing. Um, I, however, do have a framework when it comes to testing different designs. Um, one thing to remember is never test five things at the same time. Mm. Uh, you don't want to have 10 different ads in there, each of the ads using a different copy, different design. So I typically start with, uh, let's say, an ad component that drives the bigger change, the biggest change, and that's the visual. If there's going to be a difference in results, it's going to be based on the visual that you create. So I typically, when I create a new campaign, um, I start with, let's say, five different visuals. Again, each visual being a little bit different from the other. Uh, and I use the same text. So five visuals, same text. So I end up with having five different ads. And I test that for the next couple of days and after let's say five days or like you'll you'll start seeing the differences within the very like within the first couple of hours but I typically let those ads run for at least five days if my budget actually allows me to do that so let's say after five to seven days I'll go into the campaign again and see what is driving the clicks um, if possible I'll cross-check that data in Google Analytics and see if the people who are coming from that audience are qualified, meaning they come to the site, maybe browse through the site a little bit. Uh, how long do they stay on the site? So I'll not just only be checking the price of the click, I'll also be looking at the qualifications of that particular target audience. Hmm. So when I see that and when I de determine, okay, so this ad from this audience is driving uh, a really quality audience to our page, uh, and we're not paying a lot uh, to do that. What I'll do next is I will turn off, let's say, two of the uh, underperforming ads, underperforming visuals, and then I'll duplicate those three visuals that worked really well, and I'll duplicate them and 
I'll uh, input a different text, uh, another text variant, another text version, maybe two versions. So I'll end up with six or nine different ads using three different visuals and three different cop two or three different copies of uh, copies. <laughs> right, yeah. um, and that's and that's how I'll run it for the next couple of days. And then after again, let's say three to five days, I'll look into the ads again and, and see, you know, is there a difference when, when we're starting, when, when we started to test different copies, uh, does this copy drive better results than the copy that we previously used? And that's how we learn when we are you, uh, I always test, um, AB test audiences. So that's not time sensitive. You can always do that. You can always add another uh, audience in there. It won't impact your results because those audiences are separated by different ad sets. Mm. Uh, but the framework that I use when it comes to the visuals is start the, start with the visuals first and then, uh, take the best performing visuals, duplicate them and use a different kind of copy. Oh, interesting. Now I know that there's also something called the learning phase within Facebook. Right. Um, so, you know, what is that? Are there other phases? Like what should someone know about that? So Facebook does in the background, they do this kind of automatic optimization. So even when you're running five different visuals at the same time, Facebook will automatically, after a couple of hours, they'll start seeing, okay, we have, we have, let's say, um, this audience. And for each of these ads, we're going to show this ad to 20 people, this ad to 20 people, this ad to 20 people. So they kind of distribute the views and then there's, they start getting the first results in what they do is they'll see, okay, well this ad from 20 people, five people clicked on that. Uh, on it, but this ad, 10 people clicked on it. So what they'll do next is they'll automatically start optimizing and showing the ad that's driving better results to more people and the ad that's not producing really good results, they, they'll show it to less and less people because Facebook wants you to be successful. If you'll be successful, you'll come back. If you're not going to be successful, you won't come back. Um, and that's the first level of optimization they do. They start learning right away, but then there's this thing called learning phase and learning phase means that Facebook is still in, let's say, experimental mode where they still maybe didn't really pinpoint the target audience that works best. They didn't pinpoint the ad that works best and they're still experimenting. Um, Facebook says that you need at least 50 conversions or 50 of something that you're trying to optimize for, whether that's 50 clicks or 50 sales. Um, however, it's typically less than that. So Facebook is really smart. The learning phase is there just to tell you hey, these results that you're getting are not conclusive. We're still experimenting just so you know, uh, but they are already optimizing in the background. Hmm. Okay, okay. And then what about scaling? So let's say that uh, you have um, different, you know, you have the campaigns, the ad sets and the ads that you feel are working. They're sort of a winning combination. How do you then decide uh, when and how much to scale up and increase the ad spend? Again, hate the answer. It really depends. Um, but what a lot of people do, the mistake that uh, they do is let's say they're investing, I don't know, $100 a day, uh, into promoting their eBooks works really great. So they're like, Hey, you know, we're getting a positive ROI. Let's just amp it up to a thousand dollars a day. What they don't realize is 
you have a cap when it comes to your target. If you're doing targeting correctly, you have a cap. Um, so you need to also uh, open up the top of the funnel if you want that bottom of the funnel to work. Uh, so you need to you need to think about that. You cannot. If it's not as easy as just increasing the budget and generating the same ROI. So what I typically do as like with, and I do this with clients who spend $50,000 a week on Facebook ads, we do it slow. So let's say if you have a campaign and you're um, advertising, the, your advertising budget is $100 a day, don't just increase it to $500, do it 150, run that for a couple of days. And then when it's working, when you establish a positive ROI, increase it to 200 a day. So you have to do it very gradually. And mm. each step with every increase, you need to observe the data. Is the data the same? Did the ROI increase? Did it decrease? What did you do differently? Uh, so these are all things that um, you need to think about when looking into scaling and how to do it effectively. Yeah. What about the uh, sort of the the sales cycle of different companies? You know, for an e-commerce company, it might be, uh, for example, my wife the other day uh, when we when or not the other day when when lockdown first happened. You know, we were kind of scrambling to find masks. So we didn't have any on hand, and uh, she got targeted on a Facebook ad for uh, sort of a mask set for me. And so I got like a Ron Swanson sort of uh, mask, and I have like a T-Rex oh, nice. mask. And they're sort of silly, but that was the very first time that she saw them, and then she bought just right then and there. Other companies, right. for example, uh, you know, maybe like enterprise software, there might be a six-month sales cycle where you know, the, for the first time that you interact with them, it takes six months to get to a closed deal. For example, like how does that change right. the dynamics of how you run Facebook ads? That's something that you need to take into consideration when you're doing the backwards funnel approach. So it's not about just the steps they take. It's also about how long it took them to get there. Maybe they had to read your blog, blog post uh, or three different blog posts before signing up for your email, uh, email course. Uh, so you need to take that into consideration. And when I have clients with, um, longer processes with longer sales cycles, um, the risks are to be honest, a little bit higher because I, and I tell them right up front, you'll need to increase, uh, invest a little bit more into advertising and wait for, uh, in order for you to start seeing the first results. Uh, so you, you can start like the, the first results such as generating leads or, um, let's say email subscribers, uh, someone who signs up for your email course, whatever that is really easy to do really easy to implement. You can start generating results right away, uh, with, with any other thing that's involving, um, let's say sales, uh, purchases of software upgrades, whatever, uh, you need to like the investment is going to be that much higher. Uh, you'll need to wait a longer period of time. Uh, but there's no workaround essentially. Hmm. Uh, but it's always about, again, observing the results, learning from it, um, and optimizing along the way. So you won't, you also won't like implement the ads and then wait for six months doing nothing. And then right. after six months, come back to Facebook and say, Hey, did we generate sales? So you need to keep looking into that when you generate leads. Let's say someone signs up for a free trial. Someone signs up for um, for your online course, uh, free online course, whatever. You need to be talking to those people, reaching out to them, uh, nurturing them. Uh, 
if you do have a longer sales cycle, like you said, let's say six months, you typically have some sort of a free step that's beforehand. I work with a lot of sale, um, SaaS companies. So what we do is we, they typically have a free trial and we advertise for that free trial. And when they sign up for a free trial, we have them on our email list. So it's the first win already. We can always market to them, even if it'll take us it'll take us six months to actually convert, but we have them. So we have established that first connection. We achieved something with Facebook. And that's also something to keep in mind uh, when you're doing Facebook ads, nothing is lost. You're mm. learning. Yeah. Yeah. And recently Facebook got rid of their uh, 20% text rule, which yeah. I know has been sort of like a big change, but uh, again, me being not sort of in the world of Facebook advertising, I don't know exactly what that means. So how yeah. does that change uh, the way that you advertise and like, what, what does that actually, um, mean for advertisers? Right. So 20% rule was installed, I think quite a few years ago when Facebook had a problem when Facebook in, in its early days, Facebook advertising had a limit to their text. So you said you had, let's say 140 characters uh, that you could use as a copy of your ad uh, for, for the copy of your ad. Uh, and what marketers did was when you had the image, they just put copy on that image and kind of created this workaround. Right. Facebook hated that because they wanted Facebook to look okay. They wanted people to come back to Facebook. And if people would be just flooded by different ads with, you know, instead of images, having an image of a text, they won't be coming back. They'll hate Facebook and just delete it from their phone and be gone. So that's when Facebook installed the 20% rule, which means that the space for the, the visual of your image of your ad. So your visual cannot contain more than 20% of text. So the space that you get for, for the visual, for the PNG file of your ad, it cannot contain more than 20% of text. So the, the area uh, cannot be more than 20% of text. Um, that was frustrating for us uh, marketers that weren't trying to exploit that rule because whenever, let's say, we were advertising our eBooks, for example, and it was a picture of an eBook and it had a title, they mistook that for uh, for text. And Facebook right. rejected our ads over and over again. Um, so the very next step that Facebook put in place was they didn't flat out reject your ad when you were, when your visual contained more than 20% of text. But instead of that, you had a decreased reach, which means sure, you can put a lot of text in your image, but you'll just reach less people. Um, when they installed that rule, I started A-B testing uh, ads with my clients and we use, I call them testimonial ads, which is something that I really like, something that I use frequently with all of my clients. So whenever we're advertising a software or a book, um, what we do is on the visual, we put the face of our end user uh, or the face of someone that bought our ebook, uh, and we use their testimonial as for promoting the ebook, for promoting the software. Um, you can imagine that that kind of ad contained more than 20% of text right. on the actual visual. However, even with that decreased reach that Facebook punished us with, uh, the results were a lot better. Uh, so we actually uh, paid a lot less for uh, conversion 
when using that type of ad. Um, but now after a couple of years, Facebook got rid of the 20% text rule, which was, you know, that's, that's a really big update. So now you can put as much text as you want on the image. You can do pretty much whatever you want. Um, and I was at first, I can tell you, I was really scared. I didn't know. I don't want Facebook, my Facebook newsfeed to look ugly, right, <laughs> to right, be right. honest. But Facebook still has, um, within their advertising policies, uh, they have a couple of points where they're actually frequently checking the quality of your ads. So if your quality is low and you're using back quality images, they don't look good, they'll flat out reject your ad and you won't be able to run that ad. Uh, so there are still uh, some rules in place that prevent you from running really ugly looking ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good to know. So getting into super spicy media a bit, that's your agency that you run sort of all of your clientele through. I'm curious how right. you market yourself. Like how do you choose who to work with? Uh, Right now, I can I can say that I'm at a point where I don't need to market myself a lot. So uh, most of my referrals, uh, I, I get most of my clients through referrals. Um, so I don't need to do that a lot. Um, for for the science of Facebook ads as an agency, I don't really run ads at the moment. Um, however, back when I was trying to get clients, um, I had this. Uh, let's say a productized service that I did run uh, called, I think it was Super Spicy Sessions, uh, which, you know, looking back, it's not this no. like the smart phrase to use because it can <laughs> imply to uh, anything yeah. else. But however, it did get the attention of people and it was essentially a teardown of your ads. So people signed up for the Super Spicy Sessions and we went through their advertising setup and I let them know within like, I think it was a 30 minute or a 60 minute gig when we went through their ass together and told them, here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you should do. Hmm. And that was a service that I did advertise for on Facebook. And I think at the beginning when I was starting out that service, I think it was um, $150. And when I ran my Facebook ads for the first time for that service, I think I spent $20 and got my first customer. Uh, wow. So you're looking into like not advertising the, you know, full scale collaboration, but maybe doing a productized service that's not, let's say, uh, I don't know, $3,000 a month retainer, but doing something less. Hmm. Um, so, but right now I have to say that I'm at a point where I don't necessarily need to advertise on Facebook for my agency. Uh, but I do things like podcasts, uh, podcast interviews, write a lot of blog posts. Uh, and every once in a while I will, without a, having a particular goal in mind, I will run ads for traffic, just, you know, advertising my blog posts, uh, trying to learn people how to do Facebook, ad, teach people how to do Facebook ads and show them what I'm capable of. Hmm. So when you're talking with a prospective client, you know, like when is the right time for someone to sort of do it themselves and just kind of take it on and learn how to DIY it uh, versus to hire it out to an expert like yourself or to work with a consultant or an agency? Um, I think that at the beginning, everyone would sh should try to DIY it uh, because you learn a lot from from those first few steps and it's really easy to to set it up and i always recommend even to my clients i ask them have you 
like, have you tried doing Facebook ads yourself? Because those people that do try, they know a little bit about Facebook ads. You need to know how everything's working in order for you to work with an agency um, more successfully and have a really, really good relationship with, uh, let's say, an agency or a Facebook ads expert that's uh, working as a solo consultant. Hmm. Uh, so I think everyone should try it. It's not, it's really easy to set up. Um, yeah, like Facebook... It, like their UI, uh, they're, they're trying to make it easier for people to understand how to do Facebook ads, how to move from campaigns to ad sets to ads and so on. Yeah, that's interesting. And one of the other things, other things I was curious about was uh, that you're not from America, right? So, but you have a right. lot of American clients. And given that Amer uh, English isn't your first language, even though it's great English, by the way, uh, you're based Thank in you. Slovenia. <laughs> And, but you've managed to sort of break into a lot of the U.S. marketing. You work with a lot of right. uh, big businesses and well-known businesses. So, like, how did you do that? And, like, what, was that hard to sort of first start doing that? Yeah, um, it was hard. And to be on, like, most of my clients right now, uh, they, they, they are from the United States. I don't work with uh, local clients. And I haven't worked with any Slovenian businesses for a couple of years now. Um, I first, when I started Super Spicy Media, I started with local businesses because I needed to start somewhere and going directly to an international market, it sounds good, but it's not as attainable. <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely like a, a big learning curve as well. So I started working with local clients, but always had in mind that I want to work with international clients. So when I was creating my landing page, when I was creating, uh, like when I was write, writing blog posts, when I was writing newsletters and sort of establishing my Twitter presence, I was always uh, writing in English, tweeting in English. Everything I did was in English language because I had that goal in mind and I needed to have a solid foundation before I start advertising myself as someone who offers services to an international market as well. Um, and it all actually started with Twitter. So I decided it's better to start building relationships with people from the United States as opposed to just flat out, like I mentioned at the beginning, launch a purchase campaign on Facebook ads, mm. promoting my services to completely cold leads. Right. So I started establishing my Twitter presence, uh, trying to help people um, with Facebook ads. So what I did was I, uh, let's say, I followed Brennan Dunn, I followed Amy Hoy, Alex Hillman, and exchanging tweets with them. I was the annoying person in their <laughs> newsfeed responding to each and every tweet. Um, and that's how I built my first relationships. And I know that Brennan was actually the first one who said, you know what? Like, I, I like your landing page and I like, like he had a problem with Facebook ads or social media because back then I was still doing like social media in general hmm. and he had a problem. He tweeted about it and I didn't go and say, Hey, you know, I offered these kinds of services, but I went in there and actually helped them. Like, what are you having issues with? Here's what I would do. And that's how I built my first relationships. And after a couple of years, Brennan followed me back. He reached out to me. We started talking. He was asking about my services. And next thing you know, I was on my plane to the United States uh, to talk at uh, his conference, the uh, WR Financing Conference. Uh, that's awesome. So that's how I essentially got started. And it took off from there. 
That's crazy. And so now you teach others about how to run Facebook ads for their businesses. And you have yeah. your own sort of digital products. I think you have an ebook and a couple other downloadables and then the course, which is the science of Facebook ads. Like, could you walk me through your journey with your own products? Um, yeah, I think it was also the influence of Brandon and Amy Hoy. Uh, I, I, I was al always observing them, seeing that they, they were launching eBooks. Uh, Brennan, especially, he was really big in the product game. Uh, so I was like, you know, I need to see if this is something valuable for me. So I think the first product that I uh, launched was uh, the Facebook ads manual, which is an eBook again about Facebook ads. So um, I launched that as a validation if I can sell products and I pre-launched it saying, you know what? I don't have a page written, but if anyone's interested in buying this, buy it right now at a discounted price uh, and I'll start working on it. And I think that within the first day I made $400, which was really big for me at that time. I was like, whoa, $400. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and that's how I got started. Um, and then I launched a couple of more products and I think it was three years ago or two years ago, I don't know, time flies, uh, was when I was when I launched the science of Facebook ads. So I always wanted to have an in-depth video course that teaches people from the beginning to an end how to launch a profitable Facebook advertising strategy that can generate good results. Um, so again, I took a similar approach that I did with an ebook. Video courses are, are hard to make. Oh, yeah. So I decided you know what, I don't want to record five hours or nine hours of content and then like try to sell it. So I took the same approach and essentially said, hey, I'm building this email course, uh, video course. Um, and I'm, th this is like, I think I, uh, the video course is $479 or $97. I can't remember. <laughs> um, so I have that course and I offered them 25% off to the first customers. And I told them, this is the only time that I'll give 25% off to my course. Buy it now. And I made 10K within 48 wow. hours. And I was like, yep, idea validated. Let's do this now. And that's when I essentially got down to recording it. And now it's a nine hour course um that again teaches people from start to finish everything they need to know about facebook advertising that's amazing how, how was marketing your own products different than marketing your clients products you know like, did, did did anything strike you about like doing it for yourself uh that seemed different than doing it for someone else um just the fact that um I always half-ass it for myself more than I do for my clients. <laughs> I think I think all of us are guilty of that, uh, at least consultants. So when you when you're working with clients, you really take your time, like with the designing of the ads and researching everything. With me, I mean the the plus was I already knew a lot about my target audience, so I didn't need to research it at mu uh, that much. Uh, the funnel I implemented, however, was similar than the ones, the, the funnels that I implement for my clients. So it wasn't really all that different. Um, but like the versions, the uh, different versions of ads, like there were a lot more, a, a lot less than uh, I typically implement when I'm working with a client. Uh, so yeah, I kind of half-assed it for myself, but still got really good results from it. So uh, yeah, nothing is lost. <laughs> right, right. It's always the that the, the best advertising agencies are 
terrible advertising themselves or the best copywriters are terrible about writing about themselves. It's sort of, you know, you have to be able to kind of get out of your own head. Um, I know that you also, you mentioned, you know, working with Alex and Amy over at Stacking the Bricks and 30 by 500. Um, What did they teach you about the whole process of building and marketing digital products? Oh God. Um, Like so much more effort goes into it than I first thought. Um, So I worked with them, uh, with the second relaunch of the science of Facebook ads. And uh, when we were talking about the, you know, properly doing this uh, as opposed to the first time when I just like announced it to my email list and got essentially lucky with those 10 K in presales. When we did it for the second time, Alex and Amy taught me about like how I need like the pre-launch sequence that goes out, like how I need to teach people about value, how I need to show them the value before uh, advertising that value, how I need to have like a a full week of valuable educating emails before even announcing that I'll be opening my say, uh, opening my enrollment. Uh, so the, I think the number one takeaway was always about providing value. Um, you just don't just straight out, you know, advertise uh, and promote your email course, but you need to provide value first in order for them to recognize your expertise and recognize the value that you can provide for for them to actually purchase a course from you at one point. Right, right. Um, I'd also love to hit on some other ad channels that you've been experimenting with because mm-hmm. uh, you've been doing Facebook yeah. ads for such a long time, but I've noticed that you've started to branch out into uh, Google ads and Reddit ads and some others. So we can start here, but you know, what's your experience been like with Google ads? Google ads are really good. Um, I started doing Google ads this year uh, as a, so one of my clients that I have been working with for a couple of years now, wow. uh, they decided to move away from Facebook ads uh, because um, politics, essentially, uh, their politics. Facebook, adver- uh, Facebook as a company, they did a co- they made a couple of mistakes, uh, and I'm not hmm. uh, denying that at all. Uh, so, as a part of that, uh, because they did those mistakes, my client decided, you know what, we don't want to advertise uh, on Facebook anymore. I respected their decision. Um, they wanted to start with Google Ads, but they said we don't know a Google ads expert and we really like working with you. So we would be ready to actually pay you to learn Google ads and start advertising for us. And that's how we, that's how I got started. And I learned really fast. I love it. Uh, so Google ads, I found it easy to learn. And I think Google makes it easy to implement a really good campaign, um, as well. And with that client in particular, we're seeing much better results with Google ads. Really? Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a software company and we're, uh, essentially when we were advertising free trials, uh, or trying to get people to sign up for the free trial, we're seeing a lot better success with Google ads than we did with Facebook ads, but it's different when it comes to purchases. So when it comes to purchases and closing, retargeting people who sign up for a free trial, showing them the ad to upgrade their plan, um, Facebook ads still work better. So that's something Mm. that we haven't been yet able to crack, uh, but we're working on it. We're seeing better results now than we did a couple of months ago. Yeah. Reddit ads, on the other hand, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) I think Reddit as a platform, I know about you, but I think that Reddit users aren't really used to seeing ads in their feed. Mm. They scroll past it. Um, So I've, I've, 
experimented with Reddit ads a couple of times now. This is, I don't know, you know, probably like the fifth time I'm doing this, but I've always seen really the same results, really low CPM. So the cost to reach someone is incredibly low because there's not a lot of competition, but people just don't click on the ads. Uh, mm. No matter how hard you try to, you know, use the tone that Reddit, that typical Reddit users use, uh, or the same like visuals that typical Reddit, typical Reddit users would stop by and look at. Uh, no matter what I do, I just cannot seem to break that code. Yeah, interesting. Going, going, going back to Google Ads for a second, you know, I've always thought it's interesting how um, Google Ads are sort of limited to. Uh, the amount of people that search for a given keyword per month, right? Whereas Facebook is, you increase the ad spend and then you increase the sort of audience that you reach, uh, you know, at, at a given time. Um, what are the other, some, some, some of the other differences that you've seen uh, with Google ads compared to Facebook ads? I have found out that, um, I think in my, in my opinion, one of the biggest differences is uh, with Facebook ads, you can get away with really small budgets. So even if you have a budget of, let's say, $10 a day, uh, you can start seeing some really good results for that for those $10 a day. With Google ads, it's different. I think with Google ads, when we were, you know, with that client that I previously mentioned, when we started investing in Google ads for the first time, doing like, let's say, $200 a month, we weren't seeing good results. And then... Uh, I talked to a couple of Google uh, ads representatives and uh, a couple of experts, and they said, you know what, just increase, uh, increase your budget. And simply increasing our budget improves our results. Hmm. Uh, but again, we're talking about budgets of, uh, let's say, $1,400 a week. And that's not something that, let's say, a typical consultant, a typical agency, a typical uh, SaaS business can um can afford so that's i think the number one difference that i saw however with that in mind scaling is much easier with google ads than it is with facebook mm. with google ads is like from my experience right now it's just a matter of increasing your budget and you're going to see roughly the same results with facebook if you simply increase your budget and don't do anything else and don't observe your results it can quickly go downhill um so i think that's the number one difference that i saw uh facebook ads compared to google ads wow yeah and for reddit you know i've always wondered about um now I don't go on Reddit as much, but I used to be a pretty like hardcore, uh, heavy, everyday Reddit user. And one of the things I always thought as a marketer is like, um, there's something about uh, the way that a platform introduces the ads uh, to the user experience where like, it yeah. almost felt like Reddit introduced it too late. And then it was sort of like this thing that people just tolerated, but it never became part of the experience. Whereas, you know, on something like Facebook, like, ads are a very normal thing and even find, you know, they've sort of trained their audience to say, oh, there's actually good and interesting things you can find through ads. Yep. I 100% agree with that. Uh, like you said, with red, with Facebook, you have a few, like Facebook ads are a part of Facebook now. Uh, they're so integrated within the, the whole platform. With Reddit, it's like you have Reddit and then ads are just on top of that. Like they mm. just, pasted something on top of that and it's there. Uh, and I think like not integrating ads as much within Reddit and doing that very late um, just makes users scroll past your ad. They don't even want to see it. They're really biased. They, they're really uh, negative when it comes to seeing ads in their uh, newsfeed. And I 
somehow under like it's not their fault i understand that um so it should be reddit's um like they should introduce that a lot sooner than they actually did mm. yeah it's fascinating um starting to wrap up here but i'd love to take a peek at your own personal swipe file uh into some marketing examples or campaigns that you think are worthy of swiping like do you have a couple that are top of mind that you could walk me through maybe a few of your favorites so uh one of my favorite was the software uh the the software client that I previously mentioned, uh, what I really like is uh, the long form copy that I'm always using with them. And an if if I were to give one advice on the long form copy, it would be tell a story and use. If, if you're familiar with Amy Hoy's teaching, she talks about when it comes to copywriting, uh, it's PDF pain dream fix. That is the copywriting template that always works on Facebook. Mm. So you got to start with the pain first, talking about the pain that the end user is experiencing, then communicating a solutions, and then at the end, communicating a fix, which is something that you provide. The software client that I uh, previously mentioned, they offered uh, they offer software uh, for giveaways and uh, competitions. So let's say you're running a giveaway, um, you're giving away one of your products or something, uh, you can create a landing page with them and they have this sort of viral extension to their software, which allows you to uh, implement widgets, for example, share this with three of your fans and move up the leaderboard, et cetera. So typically the, the pain of our target audience is they want to generate more leads to their business uh, fast and they don't know how, they don't have that component. So we start talking about, you know, isn't it hard to follow a traditional path of generating leads? It takes weeks to set up something. Uh, you're running that for a couple of weeks and you just see one lead per day. Uh, it's not increasing, so you always need to promote that. It doesn't take off organically. Uh, it's painful for you to do and you're spending way much time tweaking that then you're actually generating leads. Um, and then we start talking about the fix uh, of the dream. So we talk about wouldn't it be great if you had a tool that would allow you to generate more leads faster for less amount of money for than all the software that you're paying for right now um here's what you could do with that you could wouldn't it be great that if you had a tool that would allow your leads to refer uh their friends to your competition to your giveaway and there would be this viral aspect of it and it would take off organically without your input and then we kind of move into the pitch. So we offer that fix. Here's this tool. Hey, we offer 20% off if you book today, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So just using that type of approach always works with Facebook ads. And on top of that, within the visual, if you use the testimonial ad that I previously mentioned, so using a testimonial of your end customer, someone who already uses your software, praising your software. Hey, I just paid, I don't know, $20 for this software and it generated me a thousand leads within the first seven days. This is great. If you use on top of that, like magic happens. Uh, so that would be probably one of my favorite ad setup that I'm using uh, with this client. Yeah, I love that. Any others that are top of mind or you, you just thought like, even if it wasn't your own, uh, something that you saw maybe around that you knew that other people did that you thought, man, that's pretty, that's pretty unique. Uh, video ads, video testimonial ads, take it a step further. 
or any ad that tells a story. So if I were right now, and actually I implemented a couple of ads that were like that. I'm just not running them right now. Mm. So anytime I'm promoting super spicy media, anything to do with my services, anything to do with my ebook, I tell a story. I tell a story of my client. I, I tell my story, for example, if I'm promoting super spicy media, how I got started with this because people are attracted to those. Like if you see a typical ad promoting a service, that's like it, it uses a very cold tone, uh, a very cold text, you'll skip by it. But however, if you see an ad from a service provider or a consultant that tells his story about how he got started, the results, for example, with me, how I got started using Facebook ads and got my first international customers, et cetera, you would be much more inclined to read that kind of text and read more and click on the ad and visit my webpage and learn more about me, establish that personal connection. That's something that works as opposed to just cold uh, text ads. So any kind of opportunity that you get for establishing a personal connection through telling a story about yourself, about your company, absolutely, you need to do it. Yeah, that's great. So my last question is uh, what I call my Guy Raz question, which is for the audience that you've built and the success that you've had with Facebook ads, how much would you attribute to luck? And then how much would you attribute to your own hard work? 100% hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I, I think um, you, cannot, you can only get lucky if you put in the work. So sure, listening to my story when I mentioned, you know, how uh, Brennan contacted me and I was a part of his first conference and that's, that's where I met Amy and that's what led me to my first US-based uh, clients. Sure, some people might consider it as luck. However, I put in the hard work to be in a position where I got lucky. So I was tweeting at Brennan every single time I saw his tweet. Uh, I did that for a couple of years before he first noticed me. So sure, I got lucky, but I wouldn't have gotten lucky if I wouldn't put in all that hard work before that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Moitza, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing everything you know about Facebook ads and talking about your own journey. It's been great to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Moitza for coming on the show. She basically unloaded years and years of experience with Facebook ads into a single conversation, and I appreciate her being willing to share so much. If you can, pop on Twitter and give Moitza a thanks for sharing everything in this episode, and let her know what you thought and what you learned. And also, don't forget to check out the Science of Facebook ads, which will be in the show notes. I'll have a link for you there. A few takeaways for me. One, I love the backwards funnel approach to reverse engineering a funnel that's almost guaranteed to work. It's a much better way to build an ad funnel from first principles rather than just what people say will work or, or won't work. Two, it's interesting how most Facebook ad campaigns follow a similar structure and how it even translates across industries. And three, I also thought it was worth pointing out that she got a lot of her clients and continues to get clients today because of the relationships that she's built and the ways that she's helped people out directly without even asking for something in return. That's the ultimate hack for building a business. Just help people. If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swipefiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. 
And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.